you, 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 you give us a hard time for being white, being American, and being in control. I did more for our black population than anybody other than Abraham Lincoln, okay? And nobody's even close. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black, it's our God. Jesus Christ has turned the tables on you. Amen. Victory. I hear a sound of an abundance of rain. I hear a sound of victory. The Lord says it is done. I bet he can't wait to go home and be, become a black man again. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Hey, hey. How's everyone out there doing in the podcast of land? Oh, my goodness. Well, you can tell it's summer. Um, <laughs> just because, uh, as you can tell, the, there was not an episode uh, released yesterday. So my bad for that. Uh, that's that's on me. That's that is totally on me for that. Um, a lot of it has to do with uh, one, it being summer, and number two, it just. Um, well, I'm having to get a few projects done. Not having to. I don't want it to sound like somebody's making me. I want to get these projects done. They've been looming over my head for a while so i apologize been caught up with that and you know just as the summer's rolling in you know just taking some time to chill um we are in uh, you know nearing the end of season five here if you're listening to this in real time as i always tell folks or uh, talk with folks like you know um it you know it's it's been a great season i think season five uh has been a very interesting one probably of of all of them all the seasons that i've done and uh, it's been interesting just to kind of, uh, you know, it talk with different people. Um, the pace has been a little off, a little more off than as, as I'm sure y'all can tell, um, you know, in terms of having an episode every Monday. There's been a couple of breaks in the gap. And part of that has been intentional um, just because, um, like I've said before on the show, that it is, it, I think it's important that. Well, I think it's important in a lot of different ways just to to stop and to relax <laughs> when, it, you know, in regards to that. There was a tweet the other day uh, I wanted to read uh, to you. It uh, well, actually, it was um, it uh, it was Jamie Lee Finch. She was uh, responding to Jordan Kong and Jordan Kong. I don't know who Jordan Kong is. Um, uh, she was somebody on the Internet who was saying unpopular opinion. The best thing young people can do in their careers in early in their careers is to work on the weekends. Um, and uh, Jamie Lee Finch retweeted that or quoted the tweet and said, no, it is not. It, it absolutely is not. Uh, and I would wholeheartedly agree. Um, it's an interesting tweet uh, just because there's a lot of uh, good commentary on here. Um, you know, they were, uh, you know, I guess this person who was tweeting this was a venture capitalist and, you know, there are people talking about that. And then, uh, you know, some people talking about, hey, you know, yeah, work for somebody else and, you know, build their fame and fortune uh, while, you know, meanwhile, you don't get, get anything from that. So a lot of things that go into that. I've been, you know, definitely reflective on work, um, what goes into work, what, uh, what does it mean to 
you know, does what does the investment of work look like? I know this. I don't want to sound too Marxist. I don't want to sound too reductionist either uh, when it comes to that or, you know, or or for that matter, you know, to just. Um, oh, what's the thought process I'm thinking of? You know, uh, oh, it's slipping my mind. Not enough coffee this morning. Um, but uh, nevertheless, I, I don't want to sound too overwhelmingly pessimistic, but I do think there's something to the work cycle, the work life cycle. Um, when we think about, you know, graduating from high school, uh, you know, getting out, going to college, uh, finding a mate, uh, working. Uh, and, you know, and, and I think this generation is starting to figure that out. Right. It's like I want to work for myself. I want to do more independent stuff. I mean, how many of y'all out there have gotten uh, you know, in, in between trying to watch the video you want to watch on YouTube, you know, the ads that pop up that say, hey, I did this and I can show you how to do this. And, um, you know, just just pay me this and I will show you this and YouTube can become an entrepreneur. I also asked the question, what happens when we're all entrepreneurs or what happens when the market is saturated? And I don't know. I'm not an economist. I don't I don't know the numbers. I don't know them. Um, what the stats are and the metrics are of people who own their own business uh, in the U.S. as opposed to those who, you know, who don't. Um, I mean, and, and that number could be skewed. I mean, I technically own my own business, White Hodge Services, but, um, you know, I still my full time job is teaching. Um, and what does that mean for joy? What does that mean for fulfillment? Uh, what does that mean for those who say, um, you know, life? You know, like, you know, like this tweet says, like, you know, you got to You got to work and you got to put your time in. What does that look like? And how much of that is American? How much of that is the U.S. Western society? The, you know, the ideology around work um, and, you know, no, no rest for the weary and, you know, all work and no play. What is what does that mean? And that's kind of all packed into, you know, even what I'm talking about here, because I wholeheartedly I have come to a space and place. Uh, here in my late 40s where I feel like I am definitely going to take time off. I am definitely going to chill. Um, and that doesn't always coincide with uh, what's being, you know, what what work may demand. Um, because work's always going to demand something. Always. Um, even if you're in business for yourself, what does that mean? When do you take breaks? And I think, you know, there's something guilty. There's a guilty pleasure that goes into, right, um taking time off. And I think I'm trying to get to the point where I don't feel guilty for taking time off or doing things that I want to do. I've always had a, a personal complex around, um, you know, just doing good things for myself or allowing myself to feel good and allowing myself to be happy and, and, and not feel guilty for that, not feel like I'm letting somebody down, not let feel like, you know, um, oh man, this person is going to think less of me. You know what I'm saying? Um, does anybody else out there like that? Um, I, you know, that's been me. And, um, and I, you know, I'm still working through that, still trying to work what that looks like. So that tweet was interesting. And that's kind of, it stayed in my, you know, you know, on Twitter, you know, well, this is for profane fans, by the way. I'm still off in my own personal Twitter. I'm still banned. Uh, in fact, coming up here, a few more days. Uh, what's today? The 15th. We got five more days and I will have been banned for a full year. Um, that's awesome, right? <laughs> um, but anyways, all that to say, um, yeah, it stayed up in my my like, hey, here, check this out for you know this whole week, and it just had me thinking, right, about work and the in in the time that we put in um, for anything, especially like church work. I mean, how many of y'all out there are in professional, you know, church service, right, or you know, ministerial service where 
there's always something to go to. There's always something more to do. Um, and if those of you who are working in nonprofits and, and working for equity and justice, social justice issues, yo, it never stops. So you have to stop. And I think there's something about that when, you know, when I heard Angela Davis talk about, you know, there's, 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 uh, you know, part of the resistance is taking time for yourself and taking time off. Um, you know, and I know for a lot of us who've grown up, particularly in the black church, right? It's, there's that sense that, you know, the old proverbs of, you know, those who are lazy or, or even the old, you know, mantras, you know, don't get caught uh, sleeping, don't get caught, you know, stay woke, <laughs> right? Uh, we don't want to, we don't want to get caught sleeping, go get caught slipping. Um, and so that's something to be said about that. Um, and I also think, you know, just even you think about just the studies of, of sleep and how much sleep we need um, and how much we don't get. And, I, and I'll be the first to claim, you know, I'm a night owl. I like, I get my most creative around one, two o'clock in the morning. Um, and that doesn't always fit with the schedule I have to keep in real life, right? Because I still have to be up. You know, we got pets. We got a lot of pets. So they need to be taken care of. Um, got a kid, you know, especially when all we're all firing on all cylinders. Right now in the summer, my daughter's off. By the way, she just graduated eighth grade. Hard to believe. Eighth grade. Done. Um, I'm, you know, always just amazed at uh, how fast, quickly she's growing. I feel like high school is going to be a blink of the eye. Um, I still remember her in kindergarten, pre-K. And here we are, eighth grade. So, um, but yeah, I, you know, I, it, it, it has me thinking a lot in regards to, you know, the pace of life and what we keep, especially here in the U.S. Um, and so, yeah, those are just some things that, that, uh, my ruminations, uh, for the week as we're, as we're thinking about this. So, you know, that's kind of a long eight minute long explanation of, you know, why, uh, I'm just late and I was going to try to, you know, push it you know, through, um, you know, through the, uh, yesterday, but I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do what I got to do. And I'm sure my audience for the most part will understand if things are a day late. Cause as you know, I mean, you know, and again, this is not to brag, this is just context or brag or complain or whatever you want to, wherever you want to put it. Um, you know, I do everything on the show. I am the producer. I am the editor. Um, I am the one who sets up appointments and stuff, which I'm fine with. Again, that, that I'm not complaining about that. That's actually all life giving. In fact, my heart flutters, uh, when I sit down in front of my computer to edit, uh, these episodes, because I'm always just excited. It's light. These are life giving things for me. Um, but they take time, right? They take time. Uh, and you know, it, if my daughter's got something going on, you know, like this weekend, uh, she had her eighth grade, you know, graduation. So we wanted to celebrate that and hang out and do things and yada, yada. Uh, plus we're encouraging her to like hang out with friends, um, you know, and get out so that she's not on her phone all the time. Um, right. And, um, you know, that takes me taking her somewhere and placing her in front of other friends and whatnot. So I'm happy to do that. Um, so anyways, just some thoughts, just some thoughts. Um, some wild, crazy things are happening. Um, any of you all out there in the SBC, Southern Baptist Convention, crazy, crazy things that are going on. Um, I, I don't even, um, yeah, I don't, I don't even know where to start with that. Cause one, you know, I'm not a denominational type of guy. I think denominational denominations are really a relic of the past and uh, they don't really hold a lot of meaning, I think, in the coming years ahead. I think, you know, obviously they've meant what they've meant 
to some people and like I've talked about on the show before plenty of times, right? There's there's all kinds of different support on there. There's emotional support, spiritual support, the big one, financial support, the F word, right? Um, that provides that. Uh, and so I get that, but they also come with just an astringent of rules <laughs> that you have to follow. And as we're finding with, you know, places like this, you know, the Southern Baptist, uh, it's rooted in white supremacy, right? It's rooted in nationalism, it's rooted in, um, in that. And so it, 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 it pains me that folks who are still trying to work in that system, I'm like, get the fuck out. <laughs> and I get that that's easier said than done. It's taken me just this long to get to a point where I can say, get the fuck out. Um, because it's hard. It's hard. You know, me leaving 7th Avenue, Black 7th Avenue was not easy. Um, and uh, if you haven't heard uh, Leaving the Rock uh, podcast, uh, had uh, the host of that podcast on here, uh, Josue on here. And um, I highly recommend listening to that because those are the experiences of people leaving, right? Very fundamental very religious orthodoxy uh, practices, orthodox practices that is difficult to leave. People look at you side eye. People, t you know, people are talking about you, right? People are praying for you. Um, but man, I tell you, and there's something about religion that I'm still trying to wrap my head around that makes people do some crazy, stupid shit. Um, really, a lot of it is, you know, circling around power, right? Maintaining power, power over the body, power over the mind, power over groups of people. Uh, meanwhile, those people who hold that power don't even keep the same rules, right? I mean, think about Jerry Falwell Jr., right? And all the shit that he's doing, right? That got exposed with him doing his little freaky shit, right? Um, even though he's the first one to step out and to say, oh, that's a sin for you know, looking at women's breasts. I can look at them, but uh, not you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, man. So, I don't know. I, I say get the hell out of, of, a, of a damn denomination if you can. Um, unless it's actually doing some good. And there's very few of them that are. Um, that aren't steeped in, you know, just a his history of bullshit. Uh, racism, right? Violence. <laughs> so, um, you know, it'll be interesting when God comes back, you know, um, or however God, uh, you know, decides to manifest God's self, um, you know, in or whenever we pass on right to the next, uh, uh, you know, to the next life. Uh, and you'll look at, and, you know, and those spiritual beings or those, you know, those uh, higher life forms will be like, man, I really fucked it up. Way to get it wrong, right? Like, di didn't you hear anything Jesus was talking about? Like, man, y'all just fucked up those 2,000 years. So here we are. But that brings me to this week's guest. Um, Oh, my gosh. You know her. You love her. The great Alicia Crosby. Um, Alicia T. Crosby. Uh, she's amazing. Been trying to get her on the show for a while. Um, finally had a chance to sit down and talk with her. Uh, in regards to um, just everything. We covered a lot of great bases and I just love the way she processes life, theology, blackness, uh, being in relationships, being queer, all those things. Uh, she even put out a tweet right after we we, um, we spoke uh, and I, I should probably put that in the link so you can, the show notes so you can take a look. Uh, but she was talking about, you know, kind of similar to what I was just mentioning. She was saying, I was talking to, you know, Profane Faith today. And one of the things that I said sticking with me, it tells me to see how much energy some of y'all give to your adverse adversaries because they're tactically stressing you out and wearing you down. You could be building with that wasted energy. And yet some of us are fighters and others have it in them to dismantle and destroy. But whenever that work is done, someone has to do the work 
of world building and shaping what will stand in place of the former things. And she goes on to, you know, she has several other things. I'll put these all in the show notes. Uh, it's a conversation that you're about to engage with where she talks about that. And just, I would agree. I think and it's where I, I've pulled back a lot of, you know, I think about even 10 years ago, you know, just wanting to have these arguments. And, you know, when somebody would say something and just the stress right around waiting for that notification, right, of that person's response so that I could respond. I don't want that. I don't want that. Um, I like healthy dialogue. I like uh, good engagement, uh, but I don't like the stress that comes on. It almost like a high school fight where everybody's looking and you just feel the pressure like you got to do something. You don't want to be the one to be caught up like, ooh, they bombed on you. Who wants that? No one, no one wants that. No one wants that shit. Um, so I am excited to have Alicia on here finally, and we can have a great conversation. Um, uh, Alicia T. Crosby, she's a justice educator, activist, and minister, uh, whose work addresses the spiritual, systemic, and interpersonal harm people experience. Uh, through her teaching, writing, speaking, and space curation, Alicia helps individuals, communities, and institutions explore and unpack topics related to identity, justice, journey, and intersectional equity. You gotta love that. Come on. This native New Yorker channels her creative creativity into her writing, speaking, and work with nonprofits, educational institutions, corporate entities, faith grounds, and communities around the US. Oh my gosh. Um, she has an MA in social justice and a certificate in nonprofit management and philanthropy from Loyola University. She holds a BA in interdisciplinary studies concentration in education psychology and pastoral studies from Hollins University uh, and she recently just finished up at Duke Divinity where she obtained a master's of theological uh, studies and a degree and most of you probably know her uh, from the book that she put out in regards to uh, spirituality and uh, and religion you know from a host of different voices we're going to get into that as well all links in the show notes whiteoutpodcast.com this is your first time welcome check out the website check out our previous episodes enjoy this conversation y'all and stay rested all right um all right well good um alicia finally welcome to profane face Ah, thanks for having me. This has been a long time coming. A long time and coming. Long time and coming. Um, well, let me start off by asking. Same thing I ask every guest, because um, I, I I love your posts and what you're about. But I want to know behind the scenes, like what has uh, been happening from birth to now. Oh, okay. So you want a 35 year recap. Okay. So in May 9th, 1986. Come on. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. You got to be more specific about that. Oh, <laughs> that, well, that's like, what I'm talking about. Well, like what's been going on from May 9th, 1986. I, I actually remember that date. That was very shortly after the space shuttle uh, crashed. And, uh, oh, well, well, I guess there was a little bit of joy in my birth. I hope yes. people in my world. Yes, definitely. Um, after that catastrophe. After right after the catastrophe, um, Alicia entered the world. Yeah, I am. Um, I don't know. Like, there's. I mean, it's literally 35 years. I, I just know. turned 35, so 35 years of history to go over. Um, well, what? Let me ask you this God. then. What? How? What was childhood like? What got you to? What was? What has been some of the? the highlights, peaks and valleys of your journey that has brought you to where you're at now. I guess that's a little bit more specific. I mean, I'm particularly yeah. curious about how you ended up 
with your ideological structure and your theological structure right now? Yeah. Okay. Okay. That helps me center it. <laughs> so um, I think that part of what's important to name is the fact that I'm a PK. So for those of you who don't know, that's pastor's kid. And so I grew up in the missionary Baptist tradition, which is a black Baptist tradition. So that's where my roots are. Um, and some of how I get to be who I am, like definitely come from that place. Um, the community bits for sure. Like, you know, my church was like a little storefront church and was deeply communal. Like, you know, our founding um, pastor was like a grandfather to me, like watch out for my parents. They were like young. They were like, in, actually they were 20 and 21 respectively when I was born, they were babies. Okay. Um, but, you know, he definitely took them under his wing and you know so many people in the church when I was younger watched me like after school and you know I just remember like the community like these people were my people <laughs> like and but there church is also a place where I first learned how to push back so mm. Yeah, yeah. In 1990, um, I think uh, Pastor Hodges was his name. Pastor Hodges passed um, okay. and they elected a new a new pastor. And this is actually one of my favorite stories. Some of y'all may have heard it already because I tell it all the time. Come on. But I was actually, no, so it must have been a little after 1990 because I was about six or seven when this happened. So it's early 90s. New pastor comes in, starts changing everything, right? And so all of that community that was there like slowly starts getting shipped away. And one of the first things to go was community communion and in terms of communion being an open table so like back in the day growing up like the only thing i ever knew of communion was everybody got to do it like we like open table just that's what it means like there's no preconditions put on like whether or not you can like join in this feast that represents like the the family the community the togetherness we have in god but like new pastor dude um, was just like, no, like the precondition we're going to put on this is like, you have to be baptized. And like, they were at the point of like coercing children into baptism oh, Lord. and little seven. Yeah. Like little seven year old me was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> actually. So there's more to this story, but just kind of a side note, I actually in protest didn't get baptized until I was 20 because I'm like, I will not be coerced into something. And like, obviously when you're seven, you don't have the language of coercion, but I knew it felt wrong in my spirit to mm. put like, you know, something on this thing that was given to me freely before. And so anyways, little seven-year-old Alicia pushes back and it's like, okay. So I like, I did, I did my work, right? I went my little red Bible and flipped through all the pages and couldn't find anything about baptism being connected to communion. So I went back to him and I'm like, bruh, like either you're going to have to show me where it is or you got to tell people where you really got it from because it's not in here. Okay. And that was like, that was my first form of like real <laughs> resistance, you know, in the world um, and specifically religious resistance, like, you know, to, to what would keep people apart and like would keep people oppressed. It's like, why are you putting like, seriously, what conditions on this thing that's so, that's free? Like, what are, what are you doing? Right. And even like seven year old me knew that it wasn't right. And so, so yeah, that was my first little protest. Um, wow. And I would still go for the elements. Like they pass a little, like the little dry ass, like wafers around <laughs> with the juice and I'd still reach and like, but you know, one of the things I talk about is like spiritual trauma, but you know, and part of trauma is, you know, or a traumatic moment I can point to is what it meant for my godfather, right? Like my godfather, this person entrusted to, you know, nurturing me like spiritually being a part of like my like sacred community, being one of the people who would hold the communion elements from me because he was a deacon in the church. And this was the the directive he got from the pastor. 
Okay. Yeah. That's deep. I like that. I mean, and and that's that's interesting because I mean, I you know I've said this before too. I mean, I I know. I, I was not a PK kid, but I grew up enough around the church that sometimes I felt like I, I was that. I mean, you know, going to church mm-hmm. and especially growing up as a black Seventh-day Adventist. And there's a distinction that mm-hmm. I want to put there, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's Seventh-day Adventist, but then there's black Seventh-day Adventist. And so mm-hmm. I think that's interesting, you know, when, you know, when you do start to push back. What then? What do you attribute that to? I mean, that pushing back, that search for a broader sense of knowledge. Like, what, what, where do you, where do you connect some of that to? You know, when we think about that resistance. Yeah, Jesus. Like, All right, hands, hands to God. It's Jesus. Like, I mean, this is even where like my little, <laughs> my little young self was a little mystic, right? Like, okay. One of the things that's interesting for me is like, you know, to hear people like speak about God and it's just kind of a very distant sense. That never was my experience. Like I always felt like the presence of the holy around me. Like, and I mean, I can get into like specifics, but like I very much am that person who like has seen things, right? And like in the spiritual sense. And that was something that was happening for me really young. And so God, and it wasn't far away from me. Like God wasn't like abstract, like God was real to me. And so like I could resist this, like, because I knew that this was outside of like what was good and what was meant to be. And having seen it demonstrated previously, it's like, we don't got to do this. Mm. Like, we just, this doesn't have to be the case. It wasn't before. So why are we trying to be more restrictive now? And it just didn't make any sense to me. But I mean, so I think some of it is like having like this kind of concrete understanding of who God is, even like in the the spiritual mystical sense, right? Okay. But some of it is like, I'm just... I'm a fighter, like, I like, and I always have been, like, you know, standing up for what is right and what is just has always just made sense to me. And I think that this is where sometimes we discount kids, like, and what they have the capacity to do because kids be knowing, like, yeah. they do. And there are things, like, that are, you know, I'm sure if people did, like, the tracking work as adults to think about where certain things formed in them, they could go back to childhood and see, like, where the roots of those things were. There are some kids who always knew to stand up to the bullies and some kids who are always bullies, right? Like, good, bad, and different. Like, a lot of our roots come from childhood, and it's about whether those things are, like, nurtured or suppressed. And I honestly lived in a context where it was kind of, interestingly, both. Mm. Like, my, my mom... My mom is a lot more of a rule follower than my father is. Okay. And so like stuff like what I said to the pastor horrified like her slightly. And whereas my father's like, go for it. Like, and so in that way I take after him and my parents, like it makes sense. They are now divorced. They have been divorced for a very long time. Um, But yeah, like my dad would be in the background. It's like, stand up, like do what you gotta do. And so this is something that has been, you know, encouraged in me Mm. like all my life at least by my father like i know that sometimes my mother wishes that i would like sit down and shut up (laughs) and there there are even moments like where she's like you know more recently come to see some of my um like my speaking events and she's like did you have to go that hard on so and so (laughs) yes yes i did (laughs) because what they said was wrong and people should know but that being said like it does help like it helps young people to have supportive adults in their lives, like who will see them for who they are and like nurture that because it helps these young people cultivate those things in them. 
I like that. I, and and you're absolutely right. I think that, and I don't think that that is taught enough because so much mm-hmm. of oftentimes the religious life is about follow and, and shut up, really. Um, and mm-hmm. you kind of go through some of the traditions of whatever that tradition may be or whatever the mores of that particular religious mm-hmm. or denomination uh, has set out to be without really ever questioning Okay, why are we doing this? And okay, wait a minute. Like, what, what, what went on here? And like, how have you, in, 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 you know, bringing it up to now? I mean, how have you navigated this? Some of the era that we're in right now. I mean, and mm-hmm. and I mean that specifically religiously. I mean, there's. Um, I was just having a conversation this morning with a friend of mine about, you know, losing a baseline for facts and how information is just out there now. How do you navigate Mm -hmm. that? Where do you sink your energy into when it comes to pushing back on aspects? What do you push back on? I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's interesting because it's like... I'm 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 gonna like sit with this, but also like process externally. Okay, I'm an external processor, y'all. Yeah, me too. Um, I mean, I think my way of resisting is like working to be in another way. So, like one of the things that I'm like really careful to do is not give my energy away to shit that doesn't matter to me. <laughs> and so, like even as I see like people go on right, like so right now, there's lots of talk about like critical race theory and the Southern Baptist. And I see like my timelines flooded. I'm like, why are y'all engaging with these people? Right. Like they not thinking about you. They talking into like the ether and like, and you giving them shit to run with for what? Right. Like you're running yourself down instead of creating this other world that's full of other possibilities. I mean, all y'all got to fight this fight. I don't think that's where the energy is best directed. So I just be tired looking at other folks. And I think that part of I guess, yeah, my resistance in this moment is like not resisting things. If let me let me build this out a little bit more. I'm more concerned about world building. So like part of like how I respond to this moment is like, all right, they doing what they're doing over there. It is what it is. Like we can for for some, it is the call. Like some people have to call the impulse, the drive to confront that, but that's not where everybody's energy needs to lie. Some of us need to be over here making the thing, making the alternative, doing constructive work because tearing down isn't work for everybody. And if like your hands are bleeding to a certain point, like in the ripping down, maybe you need to tend to your wounds and like, just work to be. I think one of the things that concerns me most about this moment, including like with all the disinformation out there, right? Cause like, that's definitely a problem. Hmm. But like, people don't know who the fuck they are. <laughs> like, you know what you not, but who are you? Yeah. Spiritually, who are you? Ethically, who are you? And people don't have answers to that question because they were in a space and then found themselves outside of the space and then sitting with the trauma of having been in the former space, but haven't actually done the constructive work to figure out who they are. And that's kind of like what my MO is in this moment. It's like, I want to help people figure out, all right, who are you? And how do you figure out who you are when agency has been taken from you in the most like sacred, intimate space in which like that could reside? And that's the spirit. 
like you know our spiritual centers or what everything else flows out of good bad and different and it doesn't even mean that you have to have a like religious sense of spirituality when i think of the spiritual like things of the spiritual it's like this is our meaning making space yeah and so like what does it mean for you to tend to that space and like to not just fight all the time like you cannot fight all the time it's not sustainable even for fighters like and i am a fighter but my fighting comes and like helping people do the work of figuring things out like who are you who do you want to be and how do we work towards getting you there by like finding resources and you know relationships that'll help support and sustain you that's what i'm more interested in i like that i like that um and and because i mean i i feel like especially you know post 2016 i Mm -hmm. have really tried to limit the the energy that I put out into nonsense. And what I mean by mm-hmm. that is just if if I know somebody is like sold out on this end, it's like I don't need to spend time trying to convince that person one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let me ask you this. Speaking of knowing who you are, you talked a little bit about a mystic. What does that mean for you? Do you define yourself that way? And how and what does that mean for you? So, I mean, this is like newer language to me, right? Okay. Um, but I mean, when I think of mystics, I think of like woo-woo. <laughs> but like, what does it mean for like the people who like see and sense and, you know, whether it be divine or holy or like the universe, right? Like there's different language that people use to talk about that, but folks to be tapped into that energy. And that's energy that, I mean, I have been tapped into all my life, but it's definitely um, energy I've worked to like nurture a lot more as an adult, um, particularly within the last two years. And quite frankly, it is working with, um, a non like Christian practitioner, actually an Aoife practitioner who like helped me see, it's like, girl, you need to do something with this because you be seeing and feeling things. And this is like, so I worked with an Aoife diviner, um, someone who, like, um, for those who don't know what Aoife is, it's a, um, a, an indigenous African um, religion, but she is like, you have all this energy around you. Like you have to pay attention to it and like cultivate it because like it's powerful. And it's like a thing that I sense, but like, you know, God isn't just living in a Christian container. Like that's just not what it is for me or period. I mean, some people choose to believe that and God bless, but that's just not where God resides for me. And which is why I wanted to go to this practitioner in the first place. Cause I felt like that energy, like that goodness around her. And I felt that I could trust her to guide me in this way. But anyways, she shares this with me and it like helped me just more fully concentrate my energies around that, like, that woo woo, right? Like around those things that I could feel, but like not see sense, but like not touch Mm. because there are things that can come from that, that are tangible um, and that have been made tangible. Like it's like, so for some people it's your gut, right? But like the gut, those feels like it's all mystical energy. I love it. I love it. I love it. And, and well, this is great because I, so much of this podcast has been about exploring beyond what we've been told should Mm -hmm. be the line of faith or the line of theology. Um, How did you meet this particular person? I mean, and then how did, you know, how did that get nuanced? And and for you, were there Mm -hmm. any barriers that were like, Oh my God, like I'm stepping into new territory or was Mm -hmm. it just like, Oh, this is a natural fit. Um, so we met via Twitter. Okay. (laughs) 
Twitter and social media like is a great great tool for like encountering folks who are outside of like your like worldview and outside of like your like sphere of many sorts right like we live nowhere near each other I actually don't even know where where she lives but I do know that um we abide in like the same spiritual space right and at this point in my life like it wasn't like weird or anything like that for me to um to connect with her like i've just had like an openness like spiritually for years and i think you know for the, at least i don't even want to quantify it in that way for a good portion of like my adulthood i've come to see that god can and does move in other traditions Hmm. um one of my dearest dearest friends and like sort of spiritual confidants is like a muslim woman because just the way that she experiences allah speaks to like me and it's beautiful and she ministers to me like out of that space and it's just like god i sent you here because you are here um like she just calls you by a different name and it's just she calls you by your arabic name that's it um and in the same sense you know i've seen god present like you know you know as christians we think of like fruit of the spirit right yeah but that's kind of like my my guidepost here it's like if i see that goodness and mercy and that you know these elements like present i'm like that's how i know somewhere is like a, a space that i can go and so but that's just something that's just been I've seen and it's been reinforced in my life over the last several years and I've come more and more to trust it. And so where I see the spirit of God, right, where I see that that freedom, that liberation flowing out of like that love and patience and what have you, then I know that that's a place where I can go and turn to for support because God is there. Mm. Who? What keeps you connected to religion, spirituality, theology, um, given especially being black, I'll say to speak for myself, you know, when I talk with some cats who just say, look, man, religion is just used to control folks. I was reading something on the other day on, uh, I think it was after uh, Autumn Boyce Watkins uh, Instagram page, which mm-hmm. he's an interesting in, in character in and of himself. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of his things was like, you know, religion is just controlling us as black people. And, you know, we got to break away from that. How, you know, what's kept you with that? Because that, I know that argument's been around for, you know, quite a while. I mean, that's, I know Forever. that's nothing new. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so for me, it's like, okay, first of all, like how we define in religion, right? Yeah. Because yeah. like technically anything you can be, uh, you be your religion. We look at like, you know, black capitalists put in, you know, Bentleys in the hands of billionaires like their black capitalism is their religion because it's the thing that they invest their time and energy in there are rituals around it right like all all religion is at its most basic and i i'm essentializing and forgive me to scholars of religion who may be listening to this but it's it's the rituals it's the practices it's the liturgies it's all that and so you take spirituality right like that meaning making and you put it in a container and the religion is just a thing that it pours out of that's what it is to me in christianity you know I mean, the pores come a little bit different. Some of us have like vessels that are slightly different shaped because who Jesus is to us is different, right? And so if Jesus is different to us, then it means the container is going to take on like a different mold. But however you put it, like, 
again, it's like the meaning making goes in and then it's poured out of, you know, into certain liturgies, into certain types of prayers, into certain practices and rituals and ways of forming community. That's all religion is. It's not inherently good or bad. It just Mm. is. But it's what people do with religion that's the problem. And I think that that's the thing that people should spend more time, like, wondering how to address. Because, again, like, there are other religions that are just called by other names. Like, you can't tell me that capitalism isn't something that people have faith in or faith around. Because they be just trusting in that shit and it doesn't deserve our trust at all, in my opinion. (laughs) Yes. uh, I often, you know, relate the economy. It's talked talked about as a deity. Like, we don't want to hurt the economy. We don't want to know that would be bad for the economy. And we don't want to you know, we there's no way we can, you know, and uh, give homes to the homeless or give jobs or you know, pay wages because that'll hurt the economy. And so, but that's a form of meaning making. Yeah. Like people are yeah. making meaning around and that meaning making is affecting others. And so, I mean, there is religiosity like surrounding that, but we don't think about religion in that way. But I mean, we could if we decided to go there. Hmm. What? So you just you you just graduated, correct? I did. I did. Okay. What was that experience like? And I'm forgetting where. I mean, you don't have to name it, but I'm forgetting. Oh, I'll name it. I don't. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I just graduated from Duke Divinity. It was interesting. Would be kind. It was hard. Okay. Like this is my second go around. This is my second round of getting a master's. I got um, an MA in social justice from um, Loyola Chicago back in 2016. And then I just graduated with a master's of theological study from Duke. And part of what made Duke hard is one of the things that saddens me about theological education is the impulse that people with privilege, specifically cisgender heterosexual white men, but not exclusively because we can throw white women in the bus on that bus. We can throw men of color on that bus. Um, there are lots of folks we can talk about who do this, but people like to break folks and make them in their own image. And that is a thing that I saw time and time over again in my time at Duke. And every semester, literally, I I wish I could make this up, but literally every semester that I was there, I was having to have some degree of confrontation with a professor or a teaching assistant who forgot that before anything else that they are a minister of the gospel of Jesus. And it is inappropriate for them to respond to students in some form or fashion. And for some of that, like then as an educator, like we had to talk about like pedagogical approaches and just like how as just as a teacher like the things that you say can make or break your students it's like what are you doing Mm. like my last like my last semester and we had a whole conversation about this i talked to both the teaching assistant and the professor in this class but i had a um a paper um it was like um i don't even remember exactly what type of paper it was but my teaching assistant called it convoluted and look there are a lot of things that you can say about alicia t crosby convoluted <laughs> ain't it i am clear if i am nothing else like you don't walk away wondering what the fuck i just told you yeah, you, you don't and so we had a meeting about that and i'm like okay let's talk about like your word choice let's talk about these critiques and and then let's let's really frame them more as criticisms because this is about stylistically you not liking the way that i talk but that's not your job as an educator and i'm telling you that as another educator like tell me that my arguments aren't strong enough i can take that tell me that i need to like you know 
insert some more citations or whatever. But don't tell me that like you don't like the way that I phrase this because you don't understand it out of your lived experience. That's you. That's got nothing to do with me. So like, let's talk about how I just got a New York Times bestselling credit for a book that I was involved in. And you out here telling me my shit ain't clear. No, my shit is black and queer. And you don't understand that as a straight white man and want me to speak in a way that is palatable to you. But that's not what I'm going to do. So let's talk about how you're not going to do this again. (laughs) And so... And so we had that talk and <laughs> and also about like the pastoral nature, right? So like, what does it mean for like, I'm 30, at this point, I'm 34, right? This is like right before my birthday, this happens. I was like, you got 22 and 23 year olds who just came out of undergrad. Mm-hmm. They like formatively, right? Like we know like they're, they are still, their brains are still forming until about 25, 26, cognitively, mm-hmm. like things aren't firmed up. So like you're out here telling if you says what you're telling me, God knows what you're telling them. And this is the type of thing that makes people leave ministry, leave their faith and like faith that they genuinely love because they don't know that there's a place for them in ministry because of the bullshit that you on. And so and then we had to talk about how that trickled up to the professor. And I'm like, look, you're a T.A. This means that your instructions come from somewhere else. So we'll also deal with the source of the problem. And I had a conversation with the professor in a class that went very similarly. And, you know, things that are biased, like blind grading. Right. Like we're not even in a place where we're going to talk about like the (laughs) ableism president in that statement. But, you know. But like I talked about the bias, it's like you can anonymize things all you want, but at the end of the day, there's a certain type of voice that you want, a type of argumentation that you prefer, and that comes out of your lived experiences. But what about making room for people to raise their voices in the way that God would have them raise them? Like, it's not about what you prefer. It's not what about you understand. What what does it mean for you as an educator to be open enough to help people clarify their voices in a way that honors their personhood? And that's not what I found at Duke, with very rare exception. And quite honestly, I mean, it was, you know, it was the women, right? Like, oftentimes when we talk about, like, these experiences that are transformative in our worlds, like, it is women who do that work. And they're the women who don't necessarily get the appreciation and recognition that they deserve. But they're there just doing what they can quietly in resistance to tend to the wounds that others have inflicted on folks. And quite frankly, it was people outside of the divinity school. Like, I love my non-divinity professors. Like, if I would have had, like, the, the, like, the female professors that I had, with a couple of exceptions, and the exceptions were white women, but with a couple of exceptions, if I would have had the female professors I had at Duke and Duke Divinity, and then all the other professors that I had at Big Duke, I would have been Gucci. I would have been great. <laughs> but like, uh, it's something about the ego of the men. And I'm not going to tell you that all those men were white because <laughs> they weren't. Yes. Well, and, yeah, I mean, I, I want to nuance that a little bit, too. I definitely want to talk about the book. I want to nuance that because I know I made a, I put out a comment on, on Facebook in, or kind of a thing or whatever they call it on, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And. I got some interesting comments in return, particularly about, you know, this being one of the first semesters where I had more pushback and kind of more of a of a struggle with black mm-hmm. cishet males in class mm-hmm. um, than I did white males. Uh, in fact, mm-hmm. most of the white cishet males were just like, oh, man, tell me more about this. And this is mm-hmm. and it shifted kind of the narrative a lot in in class. And as an educator, and you know this. 
for me, pedagogy is constantly shifting depending on the class, depending on the, the personality mm -hmm. of the class. Mm -hmm. What does this class need to learn and how do they need to learn it? Yep. Nine times out of 10, it's usually not going to be what I was taught 20 years ago mm -hmm. when I came through yeah. my stuff, right? Yeah, it's um, not. But I'd be curious, I mean, about that and how you navigate some of those environments, particularly when it is somebody that looks like us, but it's still this sense of, hmm, that didn't sit right. Well, you're saying some things here. Like, yeah. I get you on the race part, but, man, on the human sexuality part, you kind of off on this. And yeah, I don't know. Does that I does mean, that make I sense? It does. And I think we have to talk about power, right? And how okay. power operates and how, and how people want to seize power. Because at the end of the day, it's like if this is where like just talking about anti-racism isn't enough. We got to talk about anti-oppression. We got to talk about liberation. Because if some of us are free and not all of us are free, are we really free? Like, and so in the same way, you know, like, actually, I had a conversation about this with someone the other day. We were speaking about, like, folks working towards LGBTQ equity, but not seeing the, like, the racialization of it. And mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, you've got all these churches out here talking about, like, yes, we're in solidarity with our, our queer brothers and sisters and our right. trans brothers and sisters and siblings. And it's like, okay, cool. So but when you say that, who, are you, who do you see? Do you see that kid who is on the streets, who's a part of that 40% of, like, homeless youth? Do you see them? Or are you just seeing these kids in your congregation? And if you are seeing those kids who are the 40% of young people who are living on the streets, are you seeing the young black man who was kicked out of his home? Because the majority of that 40% are young black men or young black trans women. Are you seeing them? Right. And so like, let's complicate these conversations. Like these oppressions are interlocked. They're not separate. In the same way that these things are race, they're classed. In the same way that they're classed, we got to talk about ability and disability. And so, like, all of these things come together. And so we got to start talking anti-oppression and not just anti-racism because we're, we're missing part of the story if we're saying that it's just this. No. Part of why oppression, like, reigns and, and, and rules in the way that it does in the world is because people aren't paying attention to, like, how all these things are, like, operating in lockstep. So you think you got one thing down, but you're completely missing the struggle that somebody else is dealing with because they weren't a part of your purview because you have, like, this very narrow window of what you thought existed. And we got to get past that. That's great. I it, And what you thought existed in, I... Yeah, I've talked a little bit about, you know, pre-imagined belief systems that I think this should be this way or I thought that should be mm -hmm. this way or, mm -hmm. you know, again, I mean, I again, in education, it's like somebody was taught a certain way and they've tried to continue to to use that same method. I mean, I was trained initially when I first got out of kind of the underground economy, I got into skilled labor. So I was a you know contractor and built homes for a long time. And, it, you know. Mm -hmm. You try to choose oh, something new today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, way back in the day. Um, but, you know, you try to use the right tool for the job. And as technology has um, gotten better, you know, you want to you want to try to keep up as best as you can. And meaning that if you're still doing, for example, finding angles is really hard for certain individuals because it, you know, it involves a lot of math and you got to figure out. And for, you know, particularly what's called finish work in housing, mm -hmm. when you start putting like moldings and everything up, those, 
measurements have to be precise. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. can't, you know, you can't really mess around with that because people are going to look at it and be like, wait, that angle, the whole gap is right there. But you mm -hmm. still got cats still trying to do it an old way when there's newer ways and newer tools that can help you. My point being is that I think in teaching, there's been, you talked about like mm -hmm. how people get broke down. A large part of the way I was taught to be a PhD was about that breaking down. And I feel like I've mm -hmm. spent the better half of the last 10 years undoing a lot of what I was taught on how to train minds and to do things to really decolonize the way I teach in the classroom. And that's just one way. I mean, mm -hmm. there's there's the way and even how sermons are preached and how, oh, yeah. uh, uh, you know, those those materials. How have you... Yeah, how 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 have you is in your space and the energies that you hold navigate where we're at right now with mm -hmm. politics, pandemic, granted, you know, people've mm -hmm. got vaccinations and all that stuff, but yeah, what is what is all that meant in in relation to where you find yourself theologically, spiritually, religiously right now? Does that make sense? That was a long-winded question. Um, I need a little bit more nuance to it. It was a long question. And I'm like, wait, I thought, but then no. So like one of the, one of my things in just in life in general is like when you don't understand, ask. So I'm asking for clarity. Yes. I need a little bit more direction here. Yes. No, absolutely. Well, let me, let me simplify it more. How have you navigated the, uh, the pandemic um, coming from 2019 to where we're at now? <laughs> it's been hard. Um, it's it's been hard in different ways like so what's so funny is i was actually telling a story to someone last night but um i <laughs> so the I've changed a lot during the pandemic, even in terms of how I held it. So I was mm. one of those people, and I don't have shame in saying this, like I didn't think it was gonna be that serious when it first popped. I was like, ah, yeah. it's just like the flu, whatever, whatever. But like in in beginning of March, I started seeing that this was very different and I'm like, oh no. But like my fiance and I had like an anniversary trip and we went to Mexico and almost got stranded in Mexico. Ooh. And we saw like, oh yeah, this is like right that weekend where all those airports shut down. Yeah, yeah. It's a weekend that we were we're coming back and oh. so we almost got because of an airline era we almost got um stranded like out there with like, no way to get home and like the grace of god like we found one woman who like heard our pleas and like really pushed her managers to get things together for us otherwise we were just gonna be in cancun looking at each other <laughs> talk about how we gonna get back to north carolina um <laughs> but no like but so, I mean, it's been difficult to be apart from people and just even recognizing the degrees of social anxiety that I have now that I didn't have before. Um, you know, we, because of just me having chronic illness, like have had to like be very strict um, in who we could or couldn't be around. Like our bubble was a strict bubble. I mean, we're now just starting to venture outside of that. But I remember the first time is, um, I think it was like shortly before we had gotten vaccinated or it might've been right after, but we went to the grocery store and we went to a real grocery store and I was overwhelmed. Mm. Like, and I think that that's one of the things that I'm having to deal with. And I think that many people are, is that after having been in isolation for so long, being around a lot of people is hard. And I'm gonna just be real and tell you, I don't trust people. Like, 
it's I just don't like I'm going to be wearing a mask from now until right because at this point like I think I was looking at projections last week the majority like with with the exception of three states no state is more than 47 percent vaccinated and that's the adult population that's not the kids and so even now I mean I get that some of y'all are just like yay people are starting to get vaccinated I don't have to wear a mask anymore you should if for nothing else do it for the babies because kids aren't vaccinated and we're seeing hospitals Hospitalization rates skyrocket for like the little ones, for teenagers, yes, but also for like the little littles. And, you know, is it inconvenient to wear a mask? Yes. Will it kill you? No, but it can kill them if we stop. And I think that that's part of like, you know, what I have been feeling is like this growing sense of responsibility, like, you know, in my community, it's like, how do we safely convene, you know, I'm planning a wedding right now. Mm -hmm. And like, that's, you know, it's hard as hell, like having to like handle familial and anxiety around things while also paying attention to like news reports and like the latest like CDC numbers, as well as like other health agencies. Um, It's been a hard time in my chronic illness. Like my fibromyalgia has gotten way worse Mm. because like being at home means you don't move your body as much. And so being a lot more sedentary, I don't know if that's like led to my pain skyrocketing or the the sheer anxiety of this time or the insomnia that feels like unrelenting. But like I am in pain like always. Like, I mean, right now is like we're talking, I'm sitting in my office chair and I've got some pain, but I also have like my acupressure behind me because that's one of the things that I've had to do in order to kind of like push through the pain and like do work, whether it be school or related to my consulting or whatever. Um, but I mean, this year has been difficult for us in different ways. I miss my friends. Mm-hmm. I haven't like, you know, there's time, you know, missed that we can't get back, you know, whether that's, you know, for family gatherings, you know, or I mean, and those of a celebratory nature or even in our grief, um, you know, I've had family members pass away like early on in the in the um, pandemic and folks couldn't get buried. Like I'm from New York, like I, the it's crazy, but like the, the, ho- the hospital that I would take my grandmother to for her appointments for sure before she passed was at the, at, it was at the center of the hotspot in New York when things were happening. And it's just like, I know what that neighborhood is like. So I know I could very easily envision what it meant for all those trucks full of bodies to have been there. Mm. It's like, this mm. was home. This was home. Yeah. And so all that being said, you know, it's been difficult. I mean, and there's definitely resilience that's like built up in me and in the people around me. But like, there's a lot that I grieve and I understand folks are tired. It's just like, I just hate U.S. American self-interest because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, is a, there is a way that we could be a lot further along if people weren't just so fucking selfish. And I don't mean those who are just genuinely tired. I mean, those who never tried in the first place. Yeah. Like, it, that's the thing that grieves me. It's like, y'all, people were just like, this is this is hard. This is oppression. No, it's not fucking oppression. Oppression <laughs> is losing your life from the fucking cops in the middle of a pandemic while you're just trying to literally go about your day. Oppression is trying to figure out what type of mask you get for your little cousins in order for them to not get shot. So fuck all these people who are talking about it's hard to wear a mask. Like, that's not part of your consciousness. You got to wear a piece of material over your mouth and nose. The fuck? (laughs) Exactly. Oppression my ass. Like, 
but like literally that's part of the process. Like I brought masks for people in my family over the holidays and I had to think about all of the male presenting people in my family. It's like, what can I get you for you to not look like a threat? Wow. Like that's part of the consciousness that I had to put in wow. for Christmas gifts to keep people safe. It's like, so I don't want to hear about like, you know, Susie Q in Texas who feels that this is a violation of her rights to keep her ass alive. I've heard horror stories from friends who are nurses and doctors. Like, it's not that hard. It's not. <laughs> right. And, and, and I think, I mean, with that, right, it's like all the disinformation that comes with that. I'm fully vaccinated, just full disclosure. Mm-hmm. And so is my partner and my daughter just got her second dose yes. uh, yesterday. Um, and, you know, we were waiting for that. She has chronic illness as well. She's been diagnosed with Lyme disease. So was, we were just mm-hmm. like, you know, we're not, I don't want to put her back. Any no, I couldn't. And I didn't, and nor did I want to. I don't want her to look up when she's 30 and then, hey, did you, did you, you had a, um, a COVID, mm-hmm. didn't you? Now you have heart trouble or whatever this. I don't want to add on to that. And, but it's interesting to hear, especially from other black folk. And this is mm-hmm. no disrespect to anybody who's listening, who's, you know, done their research and feels like I'm still not going to get vaccinated. But it's like it's interesting. A lot of those arguments are still based, I feel like, in this still sense of disinformation. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, and and then they turn very theological in that sense as well. I have a mother in law that Mm -hmm. refuses to get vaccinated and it's rooted Mm -hmm. in that theological essence. It's like, you know, God is my protector and God will shield us. We don't have to worry about this stuff. I mean, I guess God is your protector, but so is penicillin. Like (laughs) it's kept a lot of people alive. Like, but I mean, I think that this is, and like, you know, the, the theological science bifurcation is like, it's so ridiculous. Like, science is good it's holy it's divine like you think that people just be coming up with this stuff on their own no like in the same way that like the creativity that helps people like make masterpieces like comes forward and we can recognize that as being divine energy flowing through them the brilliance of scientific minds can be seen the same like the ingenuity it's like that's like that's holy Hmm. That's good. That's rich. And that's just how God shows up in that person is through numbers and calculations and, and and engineering. It's just a different type of creativity is all. Hmm. I, um, I love that. And it, it, it feels like we're, 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 we're entering a, a different era. I've been slowly looking at on, on my own personal research, um, the amount of and it's it's still not as much but i've been noticing the amount of particularly black and latinx folks you know black mm-hmm. males in particular joining organizations like you know and mm-hmm. in, in, engaged in what we would define as white nationalist movements you know when you think about folks mm-hmm. who you know subscribe to don't tread on me or even blue lives matters or mm-hmm. proud boys um it was interesting on one that same thread that i was talking to you on that you know there was a, a guy who commented and said well maybe the proud boys and the alt-right lets a black man be a man to begin with you know all the mother peaks right right it's like all the mother cats don't let you be a man you know and you know they want to put all these other restrictions on you and stuff and i'm like where is this stuff coming from like what website did you read this on 
Um, well, let's be real. Is some of them aren't reading. It was. Like, they're on that J. Cole, right? Like you out here talking out your ass and ain't read a book, ain't read an article. <laughs> it's just, but it's it's about it's about power. Like there's so much that we can get to if we look at power and how people want it, want to hold on to it, exercise it, desire to exercise. Like that's where this is for me. It's like them that whole they like. It's like you can't be a man without like first of all, what is masculinity, right? Well, right. Like let's let's talk about that. But like you feel that you really can't be a man if you don't get a shot, if you have people telling you to be responsible for the things that you say and do not say. So like I don't know if you saw this, but Cat Williams gave this incredible interview oh. um the other day. And he was speaking about the myth of cancel culture and speaking about how like it's really accountability that people are being asked to enter into and about how like folks genuinely are lazy. He's like people talking about they're afraid of getting canceled. He's like, you're not afraid of getting canceled because like cancellation isn't actually a thing. It's not a real thing that's on the table for you. What you're what you're afraid to do is elevate your art. You're afraid to not have to go like for the low hanging fruit of making fun of people. And you've been told that these words are wrong and that they hurt people. He's like, why is it that you want to hurt folks? Like, why is like, why is you operating in a world like contingent on that? Like, if you now know like things that we didn't know before, we're like trying to grow as people, like elevate, elevate your art, elevate your personhood, stop hurting folks when you know that that's what it does. And it's not about them being sensitive. It's about people having the ability to have voices amplified. So you now hear their pain instead of it being glossed over or ignored. And that's not a matter of sensitivity. It's a matter of justice mm -hmm. in the same way that like your voice, you know, as I mean, speaking to these folks, these folks as black and brown men in the same way that your voice has gotten and still gets ignored by folks. Why would you try to perpetuate that same type of harm against others? Makes no sense whatsoever. Right. So like it's like put yourself in those shoes because it's not even like you got to like go that far to slip the shoes on. Like, you're still being treated like shit by the cops and by bureaucrats. Like, it's still a thing that's happening. So, like, why in your, like, inner, like, in your inner life or in your job or your communities or however that you're treating people some sort of way and you know what it feels like to be harmed? Why? That And th those are great questions. Those are real great questions. When you begin to boil it down into the, some of the basic principles of just being human and then when you add in right the other the aspects and areas i mean for example this semester i had a young black brother that you know we was vibing and cool and usually my older students you know he was in the military um mm. got out gi bill in class mm. and usually my older students have a little bit more of a like i gotta get this shit done and let me mm. I've, I've been around so let me engage and so mm. we were commenting or folks were commenting on different things and uh he made the comment well oh this was actually after a group of young men uh had mm -hmm. actually shared openly about growing up in their particular environments one was from the middle east another person mm -hmm. was from greece uh mm -hmm. another student was just you know from the hood south side in chicago and was just like this is what it meant and these were all young men who were mm -hmm. or identified as young men were saying what it meant to be and identify with that gender so this kind of opened up the conversation and mm -hmm. eventually it led to you know what you know how would you engage with a child who came out and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm gay or I'm bi or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so this brother decides to say, well, no, his comment was, 
no man wants to see their son as gay. No man wants their son as gay. And so, of course, that in turn opened mm -hmm. up a very large discussion, mm -hmm. which I, as an educator, feel like, all right, let me facilitate this conversation. Mm -hmm. Like, we're in a classroom. This is the place to learn. Very long story short, he ended up feeling attacked. He's, you know, and this is what mm -hmm. he told me. He was just like, I'm not coming back to class because I feel like I can't share my opinion. Like, I was just sharing my opinion. So I was like... Well, tell me a little bit more about that, because I don't feel like mm -hmm. this of all the conversations we've had in class was actually very cordial. Now, you were challenged on your ideological mm -hmm. structure and you were brought out on that. I was like, but this mm -hmm. is in a classroom in an environment to do that. Well, I don't really mm -hmm. feel like I was wrong. I say, OK, I hear you. But at the same time, I want to challenge you to a little bit more to think a little bit more about what you said and because we're in a classroom i'm mm -hmm. asking you to enter into that environment to uh, to pose that and he was just like i you know i just can't share i feel like if i'm i'm a black male i'm a heterosexual male i feel like i can't share my opinion you know in class and so mm -hmm. i'm just not coming back and he didn't he failed both he was in two of my classes he failed both my classes <laughs> and so but i feel like that's a a, a snapshot right of particularly where and a lot of men, I'll call it out. I mean, I'm a cishet, man. I, I identify that way with the gender that I was assigned at birth. So I feel like a lot of cishet men don't have the capacity to have those larger conversations. When challenged, mm -hmm. I don't even I'm using that terminology. That's still evangelical language. But when pushed up against and say, hey, you know, your arguments, like you said, your arguments a little weak in, in when that. Where do you where did you come up with some of these sources? Mm -hmm. And how did you arrive at this? Most mm -hmm folks can't backtrace as to where they came up with it. You, do you find that or do you, how do you, how yes. do you, in, in, okay. Right. <laughs> yes, I do find that. Um, I mean, I think that you said, um, you actually said a, a, a mouthful. And so I like, I was making notes over here. Oh, right, come on. Um, I think, so like first you said, you know, that, that you made a differentiation between challenge and attack for him, which I think is critical when we talk about like, you know, people with power and privilege. And like in this place, this is a, a place of relative power and privilege because we're talking about, you know, someone being heterosexual and cisgender, you know, potentially having a queer or trans child. And so when you are comfortable, when you are in a place of privilege, when you are in a place where you don't have to experience like harm on the daily because of who you are, because of that identity, challenge does feel like an attack because it is a threat to you having, you know, access to the world in a way that other people don't. And other people enter it into that same degree of access and that doesn't feel good. However, that, it's complicated when we, you know, when we have conversations about black and brown folks and their attitudes around LGBTQ um, identity, because you cannot have this conversation without talking about colonization. You can't. You can't have this conversation without speaking about white supremacy. Because, you know, so, okay, it's like, where do we start with this? It's like, I'm like, I'm trying to figure out like where to go with this first. So like talking about black folks, right? <laughs> right, black, right. Um, black Americans, African Americans, people who are the descendants of enslaved persons. I have a theory and it's one that like I've started, I've seen folks like, um, like Horace Griffin and Tamora Lomax build out in their work. Um, 
But like, you know, you had Victorian ideals, right? Like white Victorian ideals of like purity um, and sexuality and like, you know, in personhood that like, you know, emerge in the what like the was that like the 18th, 19th century that are continuing to be uphold, upheld in certain degrees or in certain spaces. And, you know, that type of Victorian ideology, like back in the day said that womanhood looked like this, masculinity looked like that. Here are the things that are divergent. And when you were looking at like, you know, enslaved persons in particular, like, I don't think we can get past the fact that, like, to be divergent was to be killed. And mm. I think that some of that, that protectionist energy around, like, oh, my child could never, I think it's still, like, it, I mean, it's a real fucked up, like, legacy about people just wanting to protect their kids, you know, for them to not stand out in the world so that they're not harmed. Um but I don't even know if people have the tools to interrogate that because of how like critical inquiry are like oftentimes not a part of like people's world. Like, you know, folks are in our society are trained to function as good workers. Having like a nation of like real critical thinkers would be a fucking problem because it means that things couldn't be the same, that oppression couldn't go like unchallenged. And so I think when you combine these things together, right? Mm. Like this legacy of people fearing divergence and what cost that could have to their family, whether that means that somebody was strung up on a tree, whether that meant that someone was sold off, that way that someone was beaten until their spirit broke. I think when you combine that with the lack of critical inquiry, you have a situation like what we got right now. And where I say that we gotta talk about not just white supremacy, but colonization, mm -hmm. we gotta talk about that export to other parts of the world, right? So even if we wanted to stick with the black diaspora, let's talk about how it went to Africa and the Caribbean and you know, black folks who inhabit like European countries, like in order to survive, in order to thrive as well they could, like you gotta, you gotta yield to these systems. And eventually, I think with any any type of imperialist system, like eventually you think that this was always yours because it works real hard to erase the past where that wasn't the case. And so I think that, that those things come together and that's why we have the present day what it is. And we're just, it's so violently, people violently, and I, when I say violence, I mean emotional violence, physical violence, spiritual, intellectual violence like there's a try there's an attempt to snuff out that divergence and in that way that divergence is you know lgbtq identity but it's not the only thing it's in the same way that like more effeminate men who are still like cisgender and straight that that's demonized that we don't celebrate their softness because that masculinity again it's the legacy of like a bygone era but that has an imprint on our present like those things are still at work, but that's how imperialist power works. When, like, you know, imperialism, like, is something I don't think we talk about enough. We talk about colonization, but, like, not every place that, you know, has some of these toxic things at work was colonized, per se, but it doesn't mean that there wasn't some type of, like, empire at work there. But all that being said, like when a system is imperialist, it tries to get people to conform to its way of being. And there's a violent suppression of like anything that's divergent from that. And so I think that this is all we're seeing is like the legacy of these different modes of imperialism. Definitely white supremacy is one. Colonization is another. And they work in tandem. Mm. I love that. That is a beautiful just connection and 
just you know putting into pragmatic form of where things are and how that because one of the things that is that has gotten me because i don't know i feel like so oftentimes the discussion on race and really intersectionality let's just call it for what it is mm-hmm. gets only looked at as black and white and it just begins to and yes absolutely there is the issue of white supremacy but i always tell folks it's like white supremacy white culture you don't have to be white to be white and that that construct that that way of thinking just how it gets embedded especially when it's everywhere right it's like it's in the water right it's in the theological dna um and i think you've captured that in such a good way which really leads me to my next question is the book how what was the genesis around that and how did it blow up? Like, what, what was the shoot? I, I, need to, I need to talk to your PR person because, shoot. Um, I-, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so the thing is, like, this book that I was a part of, um, it's um, called A Rhythm of Prayer um, by Sarah Bessie, but there are, like, tons of folks in it, right? So Sarah Bessie was our editor, but, like, I'm in it, Shaniqua Walker-Barnes. Oh, let me, let me, let me call the role. Um of all the sisters who are in this. Cause I mean, it really is magnificent. Um, let's see, who all we got in here? But yeah, we've got, you know, Ashetta Moore, Laura Jean Truman, Stephanie Tate, Lisa Sharon Harper. Um, oh gosh, Caitlin Curtis. I mean, there's just so many people. Emmy Kegler, Rosella Haiti White, like wow. Kelly Nikondeha. Like there's, a, there's Barbara Brown Taylor. There's like a whole bunch of us who were in this. Amina Brown, Gail Song Banton. Like there are so many of us who are part of this. It blew up. I think because what Sarah and our editorial team did around this book was brilliant in that they saw that people, like the tagline of this book is a collection of meditations for renewal. They understood that there are a lot of communities and a lot of like individuals who are seeking renewal and understood that those of us who were invited into this project are connected to people. And so we brought our people Like, these are things that we wrote for, yes, ourselves, but also for others. And I think that people find hope in that. I think that's why it blew up, is that people found hope, people found what they've been looking for in the words this very diverse um, group of writers brought to the table. And so I'm just like pumped about it and just really grateful for Sarah trusting our, you know, our our collegial relationship as well as our friendship enough to invite me into this because this is a really sacred work that I think needed to come forward in this time. Um, And it's something I think blew up because people need, they're hungry, they're Mm -hmm. thirsty, they're tired and they need folks who are gonna talk to those realities. And so like my offering in here was actually a letter that I wrote to myself right after, or in the tail, it's actually on the tail end of one of my worst bouts of fibromyalgia. Mm. And it was just a thing that I wrote to celebrate my body and like where it was. And just, I was working to really demonstrate grace for myself by writing a letter to my former self here. And so it's not a prayer per se, but I mean, I mean, I guess just prayers are just words. And so maybe it is a prayer. I don't know. Um, 
but it was it was to my former self and it was for other folks who are disabled and who have chronic illness and chronic pain because more often than not we don't see ourselves in volumes like this and so it was really important for me as someone who like lives with these things like these are all identities that i hold to having chronic pain chronic illness and being disabled like i'm like i'm gonna do it for me because i don't I don't know, but so many folks talking about it. I mean, the two people who come to mind, or the person who comes to mind actually most um, most clearly is Stephanie Tate, who's also in this book. And, you know, but it's ministries like hers, as well as, you know, that that others have that have been life-saving for me. And so I wanted to give a lifeline to my former self and to mm. my future self. Mm. That's powerful. I, I I love that you said that, you know, people are, are hungry. And, and I wholeheartedly, 500% agree. I think that there is a sense of not just reckoning, but search for like, my gosh, here it is 2021. And it's like, what resources, like do we, we can't just keep repeating some of the same resources. One of the reasons why I left the last church I was a part of, because it was like, mm-hmm. with all the vastness of resources that exist out there, you continue to use the same ones over and over and over. I'm going to hear from another white male telling me yeah. about Paul and and Corinthians, and I'm like, I'm I'm good. I'm done. <laughs> it's, um, so, it's so funny you mentioned Paul because like a, it was like maybe a week ago, people were going off on Twitter like Paul, 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 and like I like it, it's like you have like one of those tweets like you don't expect to blow up, but it does. I yeah. was like, why the fuck are y'all talking about Paul when John the Baptizer is right there? Exactly. Like, like why? <laughs> like you got freedom and wilderness and like all of the things that my man's represented. Like how how anointed do you have to be to baptize Jesus? Exactly. Like, can we talk about that? Exactly. But y'all are like sitting here, like looking at this like reductive ass, like repressed. Hey. Like Paul had issues. Exactly. God bless. But our sibling had issues. Yes. I'm not a fan of Paul. I'll be honest. I've said that openly on the show many times, and mm-hmm. that's just not a kind of a rejection of that i don't think the council's got that one right it's like wait a minute like paul like who did he have in somebody's pocket it feels like paul was somebody's theologian's kid and like all right we're gonna put this little nigga in there man all right we're gonna put Look, you in. <laughs> paul had a lot paul has a lot of rules right there's a lot of order and a lot of structure around paul which makes sense if you want order and structure and again you want a consolidation of power it makes sense that is that a pauline theology is what you would follow exactly i oh that'll preach right there that'll preach and teach um (laughs) (laughs) i wanna i wanna be conscious of our time i could talk with you alicia um for a long time. And um, I, I I think this this needs to be a continuation of this conversation because um, I, I still like to impart aspects of religion, even though I teach communication studies. Right. It's like I, mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't fit well in any seminary teaching. I mean, maybe I could have made mm-hmm. it at Duke. I don't know. Shit. Um, <laughs> Shit, I barely made it at Duke. <laughs> You would have been in trouble right alongside. Yeah, me. you ain't lying about that. I, whoo, Lord have mercy. Um, well, let me ask you this: as we're as we're thinking about wrapping up here, I'll say that I'm trying. I'm also trying to keep my episodes around an hour these days. I try not to not to go off. But um, with all the you know the things that are going on right now, what would you what would you say to somebody who is 18, 
bi, trans, whatever, and, and, and trying to make sense of the world. You got all these new laws that are being passed. You got voter restrictions that are coming just out of the goddamn woodworks. Yeah. <laughs> the, oh, I, they're not about the woodworks. They're not. They're planned. That, yeah, no, absolutely. I, thank you for that clarification. Yes, they are. <laughs> They are planned. And the one things I will say about GOP members uh, and, and conservative Republicans is they are able to galvanize around binary structures and mm-hmm. get their people to and mo- mobilized around those things. Right. Um, but what would you say in, in the midst of that? We're heading into another, you know, con- people are already talking about the 2022 uh, primaries and stuff. And, uh, you know. Will Biden run in 2024? I'm like, God damn, like, can we can we can we get police reform, uh, you know, in in this day and age? Like, why are we still allowing some of these terrorists to, to, to police our neighborhoods? How do you what do you say to all that? And and where we find ourselves with climate change and and uh, and all that? Yeah. Ooh, like, what do I say to all that? I mean, I think one of the things that I would say is that conservative um, Republican or conservative Democrat, right? Because like, that is a thing, right? Like, it, it's not about political parties, right? Like, don't expect these politicians to save you um, um, because people are just aren't going to work for your benefit all the time. The power is in the hands of the people and like the people the people see your divinity. So if I'm talking to like that, that 18 year old kid, that queer trans kid, like, like you are good, you are holy, you are beautiful. And it's what you represent about the divine that people are trying so hard to push back against in politics in order to consolidate power for themselves, because you represent something that requires that our world change. Um, And there are those of us who are willing to stand in solidarity with you in order to see that world come into being. And until we can see it exist more broadly, we're gonna fight to create and cultivate and nurture and protect the little pockets of it that we can where we find ourselves. So, you know, in the midst of the storm, like there are people out here who are and will continue to create refuge for your sake. You're not alone. It's just a matter of you finding your people. And that means sometimes venturing out of the spaces you find yourself, whether that space is, you know, in a bustling metropolis in like in a big urban like city, or if it's like in a little rural space, there are folks who will be for you, who will stand with you and who will love you in the way that you deserve to be loved. Um, we're here and we'll be here until we don't have breath. Mm. Mm. That's a word. That is a word right there. Alicia, I love the way you put life together and the way you put things together. I so appreciate you taking the time out today. I know you got a lot going on. (laughs) I'm like excited to have had this conversation. Like seriously, y'all, y'all don't understand how long me and Dan have been planning this, but me being in that impressive ass school, like we wasn't able to get it to come together, but I'm out now. That's right. I got my liberation papers. That's right. So, so yeah, no, this is an honor and a joy. Like I am just grateful for the way that you show up in the world and the way that you're truth telling and you're like, you're genuine nature speaks to, to, mm. to folks, right? Like we know the scriptures tell us re- deep cries out to deep. Mm. And so the deep in you cries out to the deep or calls out to the deep in you calls out to the deep in a lot of people then. And I think that this is why your listeners rock with you and why folks like me will show up on the show because it's like, 
deep wants to exist together. Mm. So. Thank you. That means a lot. Thank you. I Thank appreciate you. that. I appreciate that. Where can folks find you? Where can they come and, you know, get you out to consult, get you that uh, $15,000 retainer fee, that the whole, the whole <laughs> night? You know what I'm saying? So I believe in economic equity, and so I don't charge that off the bat BT dubs. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I make it easy for folks. Um, you can find me on... Um, at aliciatcrosby.com. All of my stuff is Alicia T. Crosby, like on um, Facebook, Twitter, Insta, Talk Talk. Y'all call it TikTok. That's not how I call it. Um, and <laughs> if you want to support my Etsy shop that I just started with like cool gear that like focuses on social justice, liberation, and solidarity, um, you can look up act out gear on etsy yeah that's kind of it i love it (laughs) and as always i will put all these in the show notes for those listening including the book um because i think when we put stuff like that out there i always think about the book hopefully will outlive myself and will continue out in the sea long after um, I'm dead. So thank you for putting that work out there um, because it is, it's powerful and, and yeah. it's, it's, it's huge and very much needed. Oh, thank you. And I know that the team is grateful too. We're just glad that this is speaking to folks. Amen to that. Amen. <laughs>